Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. Today we're in Acts 18 and we're going to be focusing on um, that God's with us, that Jesus is with us. And um, we're going to read something from Spurgeon after the scripture that just elaborates a little bit on that. But before we get started, let's go and open up with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for watching over us and loving us. Thank you that the creator of all, the one that is over everything, time doesn't doesn't move in the same way for, that you care about us and love us and know us. I'm very grateful, <clears throat> and I just pray, Lord, for you to be with us as we read, that you'd be with us throughout our day, and that we'd bring you honor and glory, and we'd grow closer to you, that our spirits would commune with you and that you would be the one that we talk to and fellowship with. I thank you for this time, and I just pray you'd be honored and glorified. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, still a little bit under the weather here. You might be hearing it, and sorry if I'm coughing a little bit. But, hey, it's the way it goes, right? Just part of the journey. So, let's just go ahead and get started. And remember that Paul is in... Uh, He's in uh, Corinth. And uh, so anyways, we'll just go from there. First one. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed in, and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, Paul, um, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some, some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about the words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sothenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. 
and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left, left the brothers and sisters and sailed to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phyria, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had, seen, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving that the scriptures, from the scriptures, that Jesus was the Messiah. So there's chapter 18, and, you know, Paul is not being shy. He's out there, the once tormentor of Christians, the persecutor of them. And now he's preaching the word, and God is talking to him. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And so I wanted to just read through a little bit of also of what, from a sermon of C.H. Spurgeon, that he talked about these exact words from Acts 18.10, I am with you. The Apostle Paul was about to be placed in imminent peril. He was to be brought before the Roman governor, Gallio. The Jews, rank and rabble, were hopeful that they would get him condemned to death. In this threatening environment and crisis, the Lord Jesus said he would give him a word of comfort to strengthen him, but his courage might not fail, so that his courage may not fail. The best, the most assuring words that the Savior could speak to his servant was this, I am with you. Nothing in heaven and or earth could be more fitted to cheer his tired spirit. To know that Jesus was with him, approving, supporting, defending him, was a safeguard against fear. Years afterward, when Paul had to stand before the Roman emperor, whose will was absolute, whose fiat could have put him to instant death, he had no man who dared stand by him. A poor despised servant of a despised master, he was not then cast down or disheartened, for he said, Nevertheless, the Lord stood by me. Under the worst circumstances, true Christians find the richest comfort if they do not if they do but know that Jesus is with them. So under the worst circumstances, true Christians find the richest comfort if they do but know that Jesus is with them. Is he with you when you're struggling? Yes. Is he with me? Yes. He's right there with us. But what does that really mean? 
What does that really mean? When our Lord went away to heaven and left his disciples on earth, they were like a flock of sheep surrounded by wolves. Just then he could surely give them. Just then he could he would surely give them as a parting word, the most tender and the most encouraging sentence that could fall from his lips. What do you think he said? Why, one of his farewell words was this, Lo, I am always with you. A dear and blessed legacy to his, ch his children, who are still in banishment below. And when John and Patmos had a vision of Jesus in his glory, where do you think he, where do you think, did he see him? Did he see him as standing on a throne of God or in a position of glory? Yes, he did. But first of all, he said, I saw him walking among the, among the golden candlesticks. Now he tells us these golden candelabra represent the churches and Jesus Christ was pictured even as a glorified savior holding the seven stars in his right hand and walking among the seven golden candlesticks. Hence, I gather that the truest comfort of the church is for Christ to be with us and that one of the highest joys of Jesus is to be with his people. I shall ask you now to consider the great grateful fact that Jesus is with believers. The words, I am with you, may be taken in three ways, and the three must be combined to get their whole sense. I am with you, this implies his presence. That would, be, that would not be enough. A person is not with us if he is merely in the same place as a spectator. I am with you expresses his sympathy. He is not here as a stranger, but he is here feeling, with, feeling for us, compassionating with us. I am with you has yet deeper significance. It involves succor, which means he's with us in our struggles. He is working with you. He is on the same side, expect, exerting his power in connection with yours. But the three words together, put the three words together and you get presence, sympathy, cooperation to interpret the meaning. So when he says, I am with you, he's there with us, standing beside us, or his Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. Sympathy, he understands what we're going through and he sympathizes and he's cooperating, he's working with us to overcome. So Spurgeon really hits the nail on the head of what's important. When we're struggling, do we want to be alone? Do we want the creator of the world to support us and help us? I think we do. I know I do. And he is there. He's right there with us. So with that, I'm going to just close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the many blessings. I thank you that you are with us, that your spirit is with our spirit, that you're standing next to us, that your Holy Spirit dwells within us, and that you're supporting us, you're sympathizing with us, and you're giving us energy and direction. So, Father, I lift up this time. I lift up this day. I just pray that you, you would be honored and glorified by our actions, our thoughts, our, our words, and that we would be doing your will, that we would be men and women of prayer, and that we would continuously communicate with you, seek you out, and love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and his journey back to God. I hope you have a great day.